Hello there, this is Brian Bowero with Thousand Watt, and I'm here with my friend and partner, Mark Davison, and uh, we're going to do a podcast. I, I want to just point out, first of all, because I'm proud of this, even if he's not, the, uh, the intro music that started us off was uh, written and performed uh, by Mark, um, super talented guitarist and musician. And uh, anyway, as somebody who can't do that, I'm always amazed by people who can. So Mark, Mark, <laughs> I, I'm 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 lame. I'm not a, a creative like that. So anyway, Mark did that. So um, why did you do that? Well, well, first, well, it's cool that you should mention that. Um, it's not that I'm I'm not proud of it, uh, but it you know and i realize like to to those who maybe don't have that skill you, if you have that skill you don't look at it as being anything special it's just a part of you um so like playing and writing music is just an, it's an intrinsic part of like me and who i am and what i do um but i i do recognize that sometimes the result of what i do um is a pleasing sound that others enjoy. Um, I, you know, I did it because we, we needed soundtrack music. Um, if we're going to do this podcast thing and it's going to be our thing, um, it was actually Joel who said to me, you know, we could either go buy a piece of music or why don't you write write a piece? Um, and I've written music for some of the videos that we've produced for clients. I've, I've done the soundtracking for it. So it seemed like that would be kind of cool to, um, as sort of a brand exercise, um, answer the question, what, if Thousand Watt were a piece of music or if we were a band, what would we sound like? Um, so it was like kind of cool to sit down at, at a recording board and grab a particular instrument because I have about, not to brag, but I have like eight or nine different guitars and they each sound different, you know, which instrument would actually manifest a sound that in my mind at least or in my ears reflect the thousand watt sound um and uh i first started on an acoustic um and then i moved it to electric and began building on on a chord progression and a sound progression and it started sounding like i think we would sound if we were a band <laughs> Um, well, let me, okay, so let me use that as a jumping off point. So on, on the one hand, look, I get that. And even though I am not a musical person, it, it seems like because that's so part of you, like that sort of musical mindset or even music as a metaphor has been sort of shot through a lot of what we've done over the years. Yeah. But so I get it, but look, I think people, some people hearing that would say, look, that's, it's bullshit, right? What do you mean? If a thousand watts sounded like a piece of music, what would, what would that music sound like? That's bullshit. And I think it gets to a discussion about branding that always seems to come up. Like it seems there's voodoo to it. It's mushy. It's this sort of artful notion that is hard to measure, has blurry lines, and 
strikes people as just a, a crock. Um, branding is sort of an, uh, an ambiguous thing, isn't it? Yes and no. Um, it certainly could come across, and I know it does to some in this industry, um, who take a completely different point of view on what branding is. Um, but my argument would be that they just, they don't have the full definition of what it is. Um, and in, in my definition, and yours too, if, if anything you do creates an environment or an experience that brings the prospective audience into your fold in any way, shape, or form, um, that, that hits all, that's, hits the senses and connects them to what you are and what you sell and what you do, then that's branding. Um, it doesn't have to be mushy. It's very, in fact, scientific in nature. Well, okay. So, so I'll follow you with that. And, and, you know, honestly, we've kind of half seriously, half jokingly suggested things like uh, cold old banker, the fragrance, right? I, I think we actually wrote something like that years ago when we used to write really weird stuff yeah, yeah. About, about a real estate company coming out with a fragrance. Yeah, um, and like totally sounded ridiculous, but strangely sensible at the same time. So I, I, yeah, but me, if you think about that, one brand has actually taken um, real charge with that, which is Better Homes and Gardens have created a fragrance, created a, a drink. They've created imagery that it all leads back to what they're trying to sell. So, okay, let me, that's a good case study, but let me ask the larger question. Right. What is, how do you make a real estate company into a brand. I, I, it, it's unclear to me. I see some com companies like Better Homes and Gardens that, that have done that. Sherry and her team have managed to create something and it's hard to describe it precisely, but you know that it's there. H how do you replicate that? H how does another company try and do that? Because I think it's damn tough. It's Especially, real tough. How, how does your average XYZ real estate company with a thousand agents try and create daylight between itself and its competitors. How do you do that? You have to know who you are. Like it all begins with really, really knowing who you are and what you are and what you stand for. Like all the stuff that we can call mushy, but it's not. It's like foundational and critical to manifesting brand, which, you know, brand people talk about that, right? Like using terms like manifesting brand. I don't know that brands really speak in that language. They're just trying to build a solid business and create customers for life. So, you know, whether it's a logo that they're trying to think through its design or it's words that they're trying to create or it's, co or it's you know, like an advertisement, it all has to come from somewhere, and it's either coming from a place of, here, here I have this widget, I'm going to try to sell the widget because it's a good widget, or I'm going to sell around the widget and try to sell a much bigger, deeper experience. Um, so it, to do it's, that... It's creating meaning, 
within something, right? Like even if you're sort of <laughs> pouring meaning into something as, as mundane as a widget, I suppose it can be done. But my question to you is, <clears throat> how do you create that meaning in an industry defined by independent contractors who sort of constitutionally are disinclined to take direction? How do you as a broker or a real estate brand create a coherent, memorable, meaningful experience upon that foundation? I, I, I'm not sure how to do it as like a universal, generic, here's how you do it thing. But I do know this, that if you have a core group of customers who are completely disinterested in your thing, then either your thing is boring or it sucks, or you have not figured out how to make it more interesting and desirable. Um, and I, I vote for the latter. Like, I think that there are a lot of, and we, we've seen this through our own ventures with brokerages, that there are some really wonderful and beautiful, uh, we call them stories, but realities about these companies that have just been like laying there under the, the you know, under cover. Um, okay, so let me give you a, what, the one that comes to mind when you say that is John Green. John Green is a, we did work with years ago, wonderful company, a family company outside of Chicago, independent brokerage. That, that, strikes me as, is, I mean, it's just one example, but there was something there, right? I mean, it's, it's a real estate company like any other. They have agents, they have an office, uh, they broker real estate, but uh, somehow meaning was poured into that, that that maybe wasn't clear before. It just wasn't clear, but it was there like in bits and pieces. And, you know, in that particular case, with the father having some semi-retired and the son taking over, um, who hadn't really spent a lot of time at the brokerage, didn't know even where to look for those bits and pieces. Um, you know, we just happened to find it because we know where to look at times, but like it was in a safe, uh, in a box of files that um, had been there for, I don't know, 30 years. It, it, and I, I had actually asked if they could locate this stuff, but it was... Well, like, now no, explain that. I mean, are you talking literally? Yeah, literally, like... I was looking for any type of advertising material um, that the father used or had from day one. Like, what was his go-to-market ad campaign back in 1972? Um, what were the odds of them even having that? But, you know, I've learned, and you too, like, we've been working with enough brokerages to know, like, this stuff is sacred, and they do hold on to it. You know, it's like Dead Sea Scrolls. And he had to go excavate to find it and it was in a safe and I plowed through this box filled with stuff <laughs> and I found this is kind of sweet I found a picture of John Green as a young man um, in a suit and tie and a big head of bushy curly red hair and he had this button that he made in I guess in his own little button making machine that he had um, huge must have been three inches round um, that just said I love Naperville and that, I don't know, for me, like that summed up all the stories I heard all day long about what they do and why they do it. 
Um, it all tied back to the founder's like ins insatiable love for his community. That was a, a thread that now I, I found that thread that wove through that entire corporate quilt. Um, and so that led to a, an ad campaign, you know, um, live and love local, but it, it wasn't just an ad campaign. Like I remember Tim and I talked about how to bring that campaign to life. Like if you live and love local, you've got to do things to prove your love for your community. You just can't say it. You got to go out there and do it. And as a result of them actually doing things and they were fantastic things that they did, it turned the agents on. Um, the agents looked back into the brokerage and began to have pride in the company that they were with that were doing these things that the community was loving. Um, long story short, um, two things happened that are of great importance here. One is um, the local newspaper, Neighborville Magazine, for I think every year since 2009 has voted them uh, the people's favorite real estate brokerage, which I'm surprised they even have that as a category, but that is a category, and they win year after year, and they've grown in agent numbers, and they've grown in market share. So let me – okay, that, that is a great story. You're right. I forgot about that <laughs> sort of Indiana Jones, like, moment of like, like finding the treasure in the box. I was actually but, wearing a hat and had a whip at the same time. <laughs> okay. 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 Um so <laughs> picture that. I'm trying not to. Um so okay, the point just to reel it in. So you would say that it, it's not voodoo, it's not bullshit. Thousand watt sounds like this. A real estate company can be, even with the the merest bit of sort of identifiable, quantifiable difference in the marketplace, can probably just through the process of of looking inward and trying to find out what that big or small reason is that they open their doors every morning can probably make their their work and their agents and consumers' experience with, with their company maybe just slightly more meaningful. Right. Like, what else is there? I mean, pound for pound, service for service, all the agent, agents in a marketplace, if we're talking about brokerage, all the agents in the marketplace are interchangeable. And in fact, in many markets, you know, one agent will have worked at two or three or four or five different brokerages. Like, a brokerage can't differentiate itself on on much other than like their story yeah you know whatever that story is it's the reason why they exist um yeah you know simon sinek talks about it in his book start with why but that's like age old i mean it's not a new book it's it's like the secret it's uh -huh. just rehashing what marketers and branders have known for eons is that yeah um i mean if you brian if you look at some of the brands that you love some of the great brands in the world, like it's all about their story. It's not about their service. It's about the story that they're telling. And, and that's why when you look at it, you know, like they always, the go-to comparison is Apple, you know, they don't sell computers. They're selling something much different, but like, look at all so many other great brands, GoPro, they don't sell video cameras. They're selling a much bigger, deeper, more meaningful story. Um, 
which is having and sharing and being inspired to have amazing experiences in your life. Like that's really what they're about. That's what makes them different than any other video camera product manufacturer. Like without story, you're just like everybody else. So, okay. So let, let, let's wrap it up there because we've gone on for about 15 minutes. Um, I think you've made a passionate argument for the meaning for, for the importance of story and branding. Um, of course, I believe in that too, because I work with you every day. Yeah. But I, I also see the skepticism, um, particularly in real estate. People only transact every five or 10 years. It's this episodic thing. They're in and they're out. Agents date multiple brokerages during the course of their professional lives. Uh, you know, how do you actually create something that clicks and sticks? Well, hold on. And- I want to challenge that because... That's a perception that's not true. Hold on, I thought we were done. No, but we're not done. <laughs> <laughs> we're done when we're done. Um, but, because that's important. Yes, go ahead. Right, because like that's, that's industry rhetoric. And like the whole point of having brand and story and meaning is so that you don't get, so that your company doesn't get drawn into like rhetoric and, you know, the narrative that people want to, place on a vertical or category. So what I mean is like people don't transact once every five to 10 years. Um, I think a lot of people transact a lot more often and, and it's not just my individual transaction. Um, everybody knows people who are buying and selling homes. And I mean, the referral game is a huge game, but um, I was just talking to Barry Redler from Long and Foster on Friday, who talked about, this was his quick story. He got relocated from Boston to New York. So how to sell a home in Boston and buy a home in New York. A year later, when he was working for Ford, Ford relocated him again. So we had to sell a home in New York um, and buy a home someplace else. So this guy had like four transactions within the course of a year. So that, that's not, I'm not saying that that's maybe the norm, but if real estate looks at people as a one transaction, you know, one sort of thing every five or 10 years, then it's, it doesn't even know its customer. All right. Point taken. So if our mindset is, is sort of narrow and transactional from, from the real estate company outward, then we're sort of, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, I suppose. Yeah. If you tell yourself a fictitious story about the marketplace and don't create a meaningful story to the marketplace, um, and what have you got? What do you think about a thousand watt fragrance? I'm thinking something sort of sandalwoody. A fragrance? Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> you know, patchouli comes to mind immediately. <laughs> yeah. 